My dear friends, aloha. <laughs> to the rest of you, good evening. I want to visit with you this evening on a level that will be most mutually profitable. And in order for that to happen, I ask for your faith and prayers on behalf of all of us that what is said and what is heard will be influenced and touched by the Spirit of God. I appreciate that. It's good to pray for one another. It helps everyone. The subject I wish to speak on this evening is one that I hope you'll appreciate. I know I do. And it is simply this. There is always hope. I've read and heard from different psychologists and teachers that we have to hear something at least 20 times before we really hear it. My experience with my own children is that 20 times is far too few. But in any event, to make sure that we all hear, I will use the phrase, there is always hope, not just 20 times, but at least 30 times this evening. I hope you don't get tired, but that you understand. There is always hope. No matter how dismal things appear, no matter how problem-prone we seem to be, no matter what reversals and setbacks we suffer, there is always hope. Hope is the thing that keeps us going. We sing to him, we thank the O God for a prophet all the time. I'm sure most of you know it. But do you listen to the words? What do you feel when you sing, when dark clouds of trouble hang o'er us and threaten our peace to destroy? There is hope smiling brightly before us, and we know that deliverance is nigh. Do, you, do we really believe that? Part of the 13th article of faith reads, We believe all things, we hope all things. We have endured many things and hope to be able to endure all things. Do we really believe that? Are we literally supposed to hope all things? What do we mean by hope? What is hope? Why should we have hope? What do we hope for? What are some of the signs of true hope? How do we get more hope? Well, let's take these questions and discuss them. What is hope? Well, I suppose it's like trying to define faith or love. It's very difficult. But we can use some examples. As near as I can tell, hope is uh, light. It's a light within us that pierces the darkness of doubt and discouragement and taps into the light, the hope, of all creation, even the Savior. I think that in some instances we may be able to substitute the word hope for light and get some understanding in the scriptures. That is, we talk about Christ as being the light of the world. He's the hope of the world. The Lord sent the everlasting gospel to be a light unto the Gentiles, to be a hope to the Gentiles. The Spirit giveth light to every man. The Spirit giveth hope to every man. Christ is the true light that is in all man. Christ is the true hope that is in all men. Well, you'll have to think of your own definition. One other. If your eye be single to my glory, your whole body shall be filled with light. Would you be filled with hope? And there shall be no darkness in you, no discouragement. And that body which is filled with light, filled with hope, comprehendeth all things. Isn't that what the article of faith says? We hope all things. Hope, in a word, is the Savior. 
Hope is part of the deity in us that attaches us to the Savior. Don't let that thread be cut. No matter how tenuous or thin it might be, there is always hope. Where does hope come from? Why should we have hope? Why do we keep on going even after we, I don't know, blow our diet or get a bad grade or uh, lose a close game or get turned down in some way or another? <laughs> I, I'm sure you understand what we mean. You hope it's the other way, not some way. Well, in, in all ages of time and in all dispensations, people have felt uh, a need for hope. There's a uh, saying, a proverb, I suppose you'd call it in Tongan, that uh, goes, Ikaike yaihama mahi, hange kohamanaki to noa. What does that mean? Well, there is no pain so great as a hope unfulfilled. And I'll bet you if I were familiar with other cultures, French or Russian or Chinese or anything, there would be something similar. Because it's in all people. Why do we keep on hoping? Well, they say hope springs eternal. And it's good it does, for it gives us something to live for, to strive for, to hope for. But why? Why does hope spring eternal? Why do we keep coming back and back after so many defeats? Simply because God is eternal and God is hope, as well as love, and they may be the same. And we are His children. Therefore, as He is the embodiment of hope and has a fullness of hope, there is planted deep within each of us something we cannot deny, for it is part of the very essence of ourselves, and that is what we call in mortality hope. A person without hope is like a person without a heart. There's nothing to keep him going. As the heart gives life to the body, so it seems that hope is an enlivening influence to the spirit, which is the real us. It is a fact that there is always hope, for our spirits are eternal. No matter what people try to say, it's always there. That hope is within us. It just depends on how brightly we allow it to shine in our lives. The degree of shining or the strength of this hope that is in us all is in direct proportion to our faith in God and particularly to our faith in, our belief in, love of, hope in, and so forth of Jesus Christ. Specifically, then, the basis of all righteous hope is the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Him all hope has its existence. Without Him there is no hope. But because He was and is and ever will be, there is always hope. Hope in all areas. He is hope. What do we hope for? Well, I suppose in your situation you hope for good grades. You hope that a certain boy will ask you out or that that special girl will say yes or you hope your car won't get ticketed, and I understand that's a pretty vain hope on this campus. Uh, or you hope your teacher won't give you too hard of an assignment, or you hope you can just make it through another day. Maybe you hope to lose weight. Everyone does that every day, I think. Uh, or maybe you hope your children will turn out, or you'll get a good job offer, or you hope you'll have good health or better health. We all hope for different things at different times, depending on our maturity level, all the way from an infant hoping for a bottle 
to a student hoping for good grades, to an adult hoping for love and understanding. Ultimately, we all hope for the greatest of all gifts, immortality and eternal life. In fact, in order to have a true saving hope, that hope must transcend this mortal sphere. So what do we hope for? Remember the article of faith? All things. Listen to the words of Moroni in the Book of Mormon. And again, my beloved brethren, I would speak unto you concerning hope. How is it that ye can attain unto faith, save ye shall have hope? And what is it that ye shall hope for? Behold, I say unto you that ye shall have hope through the atonement of Christ and the power of his resurrection to be raised unto life eternal, and this because of your faith in him according to the promise. Wherefore, if a man have faith, he must needs have hope, for without faith there cannot be any hope. And again, behold, I say unto you that he cannot have faith and hope, save he shall be meek and lowly of heart. If so, his faith and hope is vain, for none is acceptable before God, save the meek and lowly in heart. And if a man be meek and lowly in heart and confess by the power of the Holy Ghost that Jesus is the Christ, he must have charity. For if he have not charity, he is nothing. Wherefore, he must needs have charity. Now, I'm not going to go into the difference between faith, hope, and charity. Uh, it might be that faith plus hope equals charity, and charity we know is the pure love of Christ, but I'll just stick with hope this evening. That's a big enough subject. Let me just say that all three, faith, hope, and charity, they, they're traveling companions. They travel together. They go together. What are some of the signs of true hope? Well, calmness, optimism, or all of those things that are the opposite of um, downheartedness and oh, I can't think of the English word, but the uh, being disturbed and so forth. You can almost measure the level of hope you have in the Savior by the depth and frequency of depression and the discouragement we allow ourselves to sink into. Just as discouragement and impression feed, depression feed on themselves, and can't you just hear Satan saying, you can't do it, you're no good, you'll never make it. Sometimes he says that right to your heart, and sometimes he uses others as his agents. So does hope regenerate itself. Can't you likewise hear the Savior saying, you can do it, you can make it, you are worth something. I laid down my life for you. I love you. I redeemed you. I paid for you because I know you can make it. You can come home. Trust me. Follow me. Again, sometimes he speaks directly to our heart, and sometimes he uses others as his agents. But there is always hope in him. Another sign of true hope is uh, that we don't judge other people, or including ourselves. I often hear people talk of hope in another sense. That is, they say, well, I hope he gets what's coming, or I hope justice is done. Uh, don't worry about that. He or she will. The one we ought to worry about is ourselves. We spend so much time and effort seeking remedies or justice on spiritual things especially here and now, when in fact much, if not most, of justice will be done there and then. We ought to spend our time and effort here and now to prepare for there and then. 
Most justice occurs after this life, and we ought to be glad it does, for so much went on before and will go on after, of which we are not aware, but God is aware. If we are to have a fullness of hope, and that's our goal, hope all things, our hope must, again, be more—well, it must transcend this mortal existence. It had better, or as Paul indicated, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. One who has a true hope in Christ will not judge others. From a remarkable talk given by President Stephen L. Richards in 1956, let me quote, The Lord has said, I, the Lord, will forgive whom I will forgive, but of you it is required to forgive all men. Then he goes on in President Richards' words, If we were more liberal in our forgiveness, we would be more encouraging to repentance. Someone has said that the supreme charity of the world is in obedience to the divine injunction, Judge not. When the Savior gave that injunction, he was well aware of the limitations of human understanding and sympathy. We can see overt acts, but we cannot see inner feelings, nor can we read intentions. An all-wise providence in making judgments sees and knows all the phases of human conduct. We know but few of those phases, and none very well. To be considerate and kind in judgment is a Christ-like attribute. Those with hope, then, do not judge. When I hear people making judgments, and we all do more than we want to, and we do too much, and it, it's just a sign of our having less hope than we should. When I hear that, I think, who do we think we are anyway? The very best of us, the very, the most kind, the most loving and forgiving among us is only, as it were, in kindergarten, or I don't know what's below kindergarten. But Let me read something on this point written by... Uh, Elder Orson F. Whitney, who was a member of the Twelve several years ago. You parents of the willful and the wayward, don't give them up. Don't cast them off. They are not utterly lost. The shepherd will find his sheep. They were his before they were yours, long before he entrusted them to your care. And you cannot begin to love them as he loves them. Our Heavenly Father is far more merciful, infinitely more charitable than even the best of His servants, and the everlasting gospel is mightier in power to save than our narrow, finite minds can comprehend. You see how important it is to follow the admonition given by King, Mosiah, or King Benjamin in Mosiah, believe in God, believe that He is, and that He created all things, both in heaven and in earth, believe that He has all wisdom and all power, both in heaven and in earth. Most of us will go along with that. But the last part, believe that man doth not comprehend all the things which the Lord can comprehend. Sometimes we, by our actions, think we're smarter than he is. Let's not spend our time hoping or worrying about justice being done to others. It'll be done. Let's spend our time being just ourselves. One of Satan's ultimate weapons, if not the ultimate, is to remove hope from your life, to try to convince you that you can't do it, there's no hope, so forth. Thus, by removing hope, he removes Christ from your life, for Christ is hope. Satan can never quite accomplish that fully, at least not here, because it is a lie. There is hope built within all of us. There is always hope. On the other hand, the thing Satan cannot fight is one who is full of hope. 
For he is then full of the Spirit of Christ, and when that hope is perfected or full, Satan is lost completely. Another sign of having hope is the encouragement we give to others. Let me assure you that if by our words or our actions or by our very being we tell people or even give the impression, you can't do it, you are no good, you'll never measure up, you'll never make it, or maybe worst of all, I won't forgive you. And all of these things apply doubly to our reaction to ourselves and to our own faults. If that be the case, then we are moving away from God and not towards Him. For He gives hope and says, There is always hope. Don't ever say there isn't. If we to others or to ourselves fail to give full measure of hope, remember the scripture, full measure, pressed down and overflowing, we do less than Jesus would do and less than He would have us do. Now, as in all things, to receive anything good, we must give it away. Maybe the reason we don't have more hope is because we don't give enough hope to others. If we want more hope, let's give more hope to others. Be more encouraging. The spirit of hope is the spirit of the Savior. He's always encouraging. Now you might say, well, okay, I believe that. Doctrinally, it's correct. But what does it mean to me? I want more hope. How do I get more hope? Well, we've talked about some of the ways. But if it's there, if it's within you, and it is, how do I allow it to shine forth and fill my life and move me forward in this light of hope? Well, let me read a couple of verses again from the Book of Mormon, Moroni. And the remission of sins bringeth meekness and lowliness of heart. We've heard that before. And because of meekness and lowliness of heart cometh the visitation of the Holy Ghost, which comforter, the Holy Ghost, filleth with hope and perfect love, which love endureth by diligence unto prayer until the end shall come, when all the saints shall dwell with God. And then from Second Nephi, Wherefore ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and the love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the words of Christ, which are the scriptures, of course, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. Isn't that what we're hoping for? Those two key verses lay out so clearly what we need to do. The key elements are repentance, admission of sins, meekness, lowliness of heart, love of God and of all men, feasting on the words of Christ, studying the scriptures, praying, enduring to the end. Quite opposite from some of the success formulas in the world. As near as I can tell, if you don't have hope, you either don't have the Holy Ghost or you aren't listening to Him. For it states clearly, which comforter filleth with hope and perfect love. The scriptures talk about a perfect brightness of hope. Now think about that. Wouldn't you like to have that? To never be down, never be discouraged? That'd be great, wouldn't it? I think all of us would agree. But will it ever happen? Will that ever happen here? Well, like a lot of things, it's difficult, but it can. Else why the injunction from the Lord to Nephi to press forward with steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men? Well, like anything else, good, it's not easy. It doesn't come without effort. Satan will try to diminish your hope or keep it away from you altogether if he can. The Savior will 
help you increase in hope. So if we can just see that, that the battle lines are clearly drawn. Satan and his forces, the world, will do everything in their power to have you lose hope, to be constantly down on yourself, always discouraged, despondent. We, we know people like that because we've been like that sometimes. Uh, Satan wants to discourage you, for he knows that discouragement and hope cannot exist together. So if he gets you discouraged enough, out goes hope. On the other hand, the Savior will do just the opposite. He will do all in his power to encourage you, lift you up, give you hope, help you in every way possible so that with a steadfastness in Christ, we may attain to that perfect brightness of hope. And then discouragement and despair are gone. You see how clear that is? Darkness, discouragement, pessimism, depression, anger, lack of hope, all of these things come from Satan and his forces. Whereas optimism, light, encouragement, hope, even to a perfect brightness of hope, all come from the Savior. Now, some may say, well, you're bordering on calling discouragement a sin. And we know that we all get discouraged sometimes. It's just human nature. Yeah, true enough. It's human nature. All humans get discouraged sometimes. All humans die sometime, too. <laughs> but through the Savior, we will overcome death. And through him, we must overcome discouragement as well. And we can. I'm not saying that discouragement or pessimism is necessarily a sin, maybe just a test or a growing experience and so forth. But what I am saying is that Satan is here on the left with the discouragement, the darkness, and, and we want to get out of there as soon as we can. Whereas the Savior is here with hope and light, and as I say, they may be the same, encouragement and so forth. And we have to move from here over to here. And when we find ourselves here, go over here. Those of the world are betting that this life is it. You've heard the statement, better read than dead and so forth. See, there, that, that's all based on the assumption that there's nothing after here. That uh, To them, there is no hope for the future. To them, it's eat, drink, and be merry, and get what you can, when you can, how you can. That's, that's not true. Hope is available. Hope is here. And this is really hope in Christ. And, and, and hope is really the very essence of life. To say there is no hope for me is to say there is no Savior. For he is hope and he does exist. So there is hope for you. He is forever. So there is always hope. Basically, those without hope are those who rely only on themselves who have not tapped into that power beyond themselves, even the Savior himself. And there's far too many in the world that way today. They rely totally on themselves. And while it's good to be self-reliant, you have to rely on yourself and on the Savior. As you know, the Savior came to, do, to the earth to do several things. Fulfill the plan made in heaven before the earth was, do the will of the Father, work out the infinite atonement, break the bands of death, and become the first fruits of the resurrection, fulfill all prophecy, and on and on and on. But I'm not so sure, but what much, if not all of this, that he came to do could be summed up in the phrase, he came to give us hope. He came to show us that indeed there is always hope. For he is always, and he is hope. Is there anything more universal than a need for hope? We all do things wrong. We need hope to have them taken from us. We all have problems. We need hope that they'll go away. If there were no hope, we would be lost forever. Think of the hope that genealogy and temple work gives us and millions of others. 
Think of the total depth and breadth of the hope the Savior gives us in the gospel plan. You just can't comprehend it. Remember, we hope all things, do we? I, uh, the, the gospel is hope-giving. I hear some people say, oh, the gospel's too restrictive. But we just have to look at the other side. It's really not restrictive at all. It is hope-giving. It gives us a pattern to follow whereby we can gain hope. There is hope, and that is what the church is all about. That is what the Savior is about. He came to give us hope. Sure, we must change, but we can. You see, when we say, no, we can't change, that's just us. We're over here, and we need to get over here where there's light, there's hope. I can change. There is always hope. That's the message of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. There is always hope for all of us. We can choose and improve and become as he is. Remember the quotation from 1 John, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Hope is a purifying, refining process. How do I know there is hope for all? Because it was a universal atonement. As the scriptures tell us from the Doctrine and Covenants, For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all. All is pretty inclusive. That they might not suffer if they would repent. That is, there was no holding back on the Savior's part. He paid the full price for all, full measure, pressed down, overflowing. President Kimball said at an area conference, I want to be sure that I am well understood. The Lord has said, Wherefore all manner of sin shall be forgiven unto men, except the sinning against the Holy Ghost and the committing of murder. That's from Matthew. Then President Kimball goes on, None of us will commit sin against the Holy Ghost. Generally, we do not know enough, and few of us will ever be involved in a murder. Therefore, the sins of mankind can be forgiven, but not by ignoring them. One must go to the proper ecclesiastical officials and clear his problem. Well then, if there is always hope, and I, I or we or any of us don't have much hope, how do we get more hope? That's what we really want to know. Well, you pray for it. You ask for it. You listen to your leaders, you follow them, you repent. And according to the scriptures, you become meek and lowly in heart. You serve others, you read the scriptures. Now, this is an to this feasting upon the words of Christ and reading the scriptures. I want to testify to you that there is not a single situation you or I or anyone can become involved in that the principle of how to get out of it is not contained in the scriptures. You gain hope or uncover it a little at a time. If the scriptures do have the answers, then read them. One of the best ways is to read about the life and acts of the Savior, the things he did. If he is hope, then certainly what he did should give hope to us or help us discover the hope within ourselves. Let me give just a few examples from the Savior's life and what beautiful examples they are that cover many, if not all, of the situations in which we need hope. Several, well, you're all familiar with the incident of the people bringing the man who was uh, sick with palsy and they couldn't get to the Savior and they let him down through the roof. 
the Savior healed him because of the great faith, the great hope that those uh, around him had. And there's a lesson to learn there. It wasn't easy. They had to put forth some effort when they let him down through the seating. If we want a blessing from hope that is based on having strong faith and strong hope, then we'd better be prepared to overcome some obstacles, else our hope isn't sufficient to receive the blessing that we hope for. Let me read one from Matthew. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And while they were going, and behold, a woman, which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And then Jesus proceeded on. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose, and the fame thereof went abroad into all that land. In Christ there is always hope. One from Mark. And they came to Jericho, that is, Jesus and his disciples, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. In other words, be quiet. You're making a fuss. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Do you, do you see what is trying to get across? Don't get discouraged because people tell you, oh, don't go see the bishop. He's this, that, and the other. Don't go to conference. It's boring and so on. <laughs> cry out louder. Uh, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Oh, how often do we need to receive Sight, we have problems, difficult, Lord, that I could just understand what I'm to do, that I might see clearly. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in that way. Isn't that the point? Don't, don't let people talk you out of these things. Hang in there as it is. In Christ there is always hope. Another one from Luke. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind, behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. 
Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Now tell me, therefore, which of them will he will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, that's important to note, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. She hoped, her hope was rewarded. In Christ there is always hope. I'm sure she did more than hope. She changed, and must, we must also. One final one from the New Testament from Luke. You all remember Peter, the great stalwart apostle, the problems he had to begin with. Then took they him and led him and brought him unto the high priest's house. This is, of course, when they took the Savior to Caiaphas. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And Peter denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. Sounds like we talk today, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> and about the space of an hour, after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Think about it. How, how could you feel any worse, denying the Savior? How could you be more down on yourself? How could you be more discouraged? Why then did Peter come back? become the strength that he was. Some people think that there was a look of anguish or distrust on the Savior's face as he looked at Peter at that critical moment. But I testify to you that while there can be sternness in the Savior, the Savior I know is a kind, smiling, helpful Savior, one who constantly encourages, and he did thus with Peter. His look to Peter said, Come to me, come home to hope. You know better. You can do better. You will do better. There is always hope. There is always hope in me. And that feeling of hope that emanated from the Savior was constantly with Peter. The recurring vision and feeling of his loving eyes and beckoning face came back and back again to Peter, and they will to us, 
And Peter came back and was strong. What a strength he was. And we must come back and be strong. He didn't allow discouragement to overwhelm him. He grasped that hope in the Savior and held on to it till it became a perfect brightness of hope. And so must we. We could go on and on and give example after example. Some may say, sure, but that is the Savior. And that's 2,000 years ago, and I am me, and my problems are mine. I live now in 1984, and he isn't around. I don't have him to touch the hem of his robe and so forth. And no one understands my problems, and uh, my problems are different. To all of those questions, I just say, when I say he isn't around, oh, isn't he? No one understands, oh, doesn't he? My problems are different. Oh, are they? Oh, my young friends, if you think that that way, that they're different, I want to assure you that nothing could be farther from the truth. Time is measured only to man, not to God. Life is all one great now to him. 1984 is no different than 31 AD. You have essentially the same problems and feelings as those living in Palestine two millennia ago. You might worry about atomic holocaust rather than the Roman legions, but it's the same thing. Uh, his spirit is just as present. He understands just as much. He is just as loving and kind and anxious to help as he ever has been. And miracles, if you want to call them that, they're really just his power manifest among men, today are just as real and just as evident as they ever have been. For faith is among the children of men. Hope is among the children of men. Some of you may question that. Don't. It's true. Let me just give you one example in our day, and I'm going to use this as a sort of a composite that is so no one will identify particularly with one person. All the incidents that I'll mention are true, but there were three different people involved, so no one will think I'm just talking about them. I... Uh, Shortly after I was called to be a general authority, I was asked to interview a young girl who wanted to go on a mission. And she'd had some problems. Well, I, I wasn't, I'd been a mission president, but wasn't all that experienced. And when we came in and went over all the problems that she had, I thought, good heavens, what's she doing here? No way can a girl like that go on a mission with all those problems. And, but there was something radiant about, the, uh, about her honesty. She, you just, she wasn't holding anything back. She was completely honest. And, and, and I suppose the thing, as I look back now, I could sense that she had a real hope. She really wanted to go on a mission. I wanted to just say no, because I, as I say, I'd been a mission president. I, I wouldn't have wanted someone with that kind of a record in my mission. And so I was just <laughs> going to say, well. Uh, but, but there was something that said, oh, wait a while. So I didn't say no. I was planning on, I said, why don't you come back next week? Let's pray about it and think about it. I was planning on telling her no. Well, I got a call shortly after that, and the place that I was supposed to go for a state conference assignment was for some unknown reason changed, and I was to go someplace else. I went to this other place. The state president picked me up, and the plane got there a little before we needed to be in meetings. And he said, we're going to go out, to, we're having a family reunion, and I'd like to, that's where we're going to have lunch. I said, okay, fine. So we went out to the family reunion. Now, this is hundreds, maybe thousands of miles, well, hundreds, I guess, away from where, where I was before. 
And as we were eating, some of the older members of the family were getting up and giving reports about their family. And uh, the president says, well, it's time to go. We better go. And just as he said that, uh, a lady stood up and says, well, I hate to walk out when someone's talking. Let's just wait till she's through. Oh, okay, she might, that's Aunt Chloe, and she might talk a long time. I said, well, let's, let's see. And she started, and she gave a report of her family, and then she said, and as all of you know, we have had a lot of heartache and trouble with my granddaughter so-and-so. Same name, rang a bell. She says, but we are so hopeful. We've heard that she's actually thinking of going on a mission. And oh, we hope she'll be able to go. And as the tears came down that grandmother's face, and I realized I was sitting there, and I was the one that had to make that decision. <laughs> I thought, wow, the power of hope, the hope of a young girl, the hope of a grandmother, and I'm sure the hope of her mother as well. Some way got those schedules switched around and got me sent up there to sit down and listen to that grandmother. And when we left, I talked to the stake president. I said, now, who is that and who is her granddaughter? And he explained, and it was exactly the same person. Well, obviously, you know what happened. She came back next week. I said, well, we'll give it a try. You've got a lot of hope. You've got a lot going for you. What she had going for her was she wanted to. So she went. I kept in close touch with her stake president. Served a wonderful mission, tremendous mission. And I would call regularly, or he would call me and say, you know, we've got a letter and things are doing fine and so forth. Then I realized that the time was just about up. She used to be coming home. About a month before she came home, I got a call from the stake president. Mr. Groberg, yeah, got some bad news. Uh-oh, what? Our friend is home, excommunicated. One month before her mission was up. Oh. Well, she was a wonderful girl and came in, wanted to apologize to me, but blew it. Sorry. And I, as I recall, it was a busy time and there was sort of a feeling, well, I guess we shouldn't have tried. But that wasn't the feeling. The feeling that I had when I talked to her is, don't forget, there's always hope. Keep trying. There were so many problems you can't imagine. Change of mission presence, change of state presence, papers getting lost. Years went by, but I kept in touch. Little by little, things came together. She married a fine young man, and not very long ago, I had the opportunity of seating her her husband and two little children. It took years and it was a lot of pain. But as I looked down upon that beautiful tear-stained face, so full of joy and love and especially of hope, I softly breathed those beautiful words that had meant so much to us for so long. You see, so-and-so, there is always hope. My dear young friends, could there be a greater miracle in any age? Are not all the essential ingredients basically the same? You think you are so different. You think your problems evade solution. Uh, you think the Savior and His works and love belong to a different time and place. No, they are here now. They have been and ever will be available to all men and women everywhere, regardless of the complexity, the severity, the terribleness, the duration, or the supposed deepness of the problem. There is always hope. 
In Christ who lives and loves and works miracles, now there is always hope. Listen again and again and again. There is always hope. Now, today, there is always hope. There is always hope. He lives. He loves. He saves. In Him, there is always hope. What would life be like without hope? Terrible. Can't conceive of it. Remove the Savior from your life and you remove hope. But we can't and we won't. He is there and He will always whisper to us and assure us there is always hope. We just simply have to have hope. Listen again to Moroni in the Book of Mormon. Wherefore there must be faith, and if there must be faith, there must also be hope. And if there must be hope, there must also be charity. And except ye have charity, ye can in no wise be saved in the kingdom of God. Neither can ye be saved in the kingdom of God if ye have not faith. Neither can ye if ye have no hope. And if ye have no hope, ye must needs be in despair. And despair cometh because of iniquity. No matter what price we have to pay or how long we must suffer, there is always hope. No matter how deep the wound, how dark the night, keep up hope. It's worth it. There is always hope. No matter the fasting, the struggling, the praying, the weeping, the searching, the confessing, no matter the so-called embarrassment or lack or loss of face or pride or whatever other terms or feelings Satan uses in us to attempt to dissuade us from obtaining that saving hope and from securing that glorious hope in the Savior, it's worth it. From Ether, Wherefore, whoso believeth in God must with surety hope for a better world, yea, even a place at the right hand of God, which hope cometh of faith, maketh an anchor to the souls of men, which would make them sure and steadfast always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. And I also remember that thou hast said that thou hast prepared a house for man in the mansions, of course. Yea, even among the mansions of thy father, in which man might have a more excellent hope. Wherefore, man must have hope, or he cannot receive an inheritance in the place which thou hast prepared. So you see, to search, to seek, to struggle... And then to see the smiling face of the Savior as over and over again he says, Come, come to me. I will heal you. In me there is always hope. Oh, my beloved young friends, remember there is always hope for you and for others. How do I know that? Because the Savior again came and paid the price for all. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all that they might not suffer if they would repent. That's pretty inclusive. The Savior was, in our vernacular today, a great optimist, wasn't he? Actually, he was full of hope, had a fullness of hope. As far as I know, there's not a thing, considering what President Kimball said, that you will do that is not covered by the love and the atoning sacrifice of the Savior. Nothing. That ought to give you hope, hadn't it? Listen to uh, not only what President Kimball said, but uh, Stephen L. Richards again in a, in a talk said, Let no brother or sister in the whole family of God, now that's not only members of the church, the whole family of God, feel that he or she has gone beyond the point where error and sin may be left behind, and true repentance enlighten the soul with hope and faith. So you see, there is always hope. Well... And that's 29 times. Uh, I hope by now we are all beginning to really hear 
and I mean hear and feel deep in our eternal souls the truth of that marvelous phrase, there is always hope. I know there is, and I know there is because of the Savior, our Lord and friend, even Jesus Christ. To all those who ask the plaintive question, is there any hope for me? The answer is a resounding yes, 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 there is always hope. Reverberating through all eternity, all creation exults. In Christ there is always hope. I know whereof I speak. Oh, seek after Him in all ways and at all times until you can sense His smiling countenance saying to you, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. I am the hope of the world. In me there is always hope. Let me conclude with my testimony. I know that God lives and loves us. I know that Jesus Christ is His Son. I have hope in Christ, a sure hope. You can have one, too. I know He lives. I know He smiles. I know He always gives hope. I know that the miracles referred to this day not only occurred 2,000 years ago, but similar manifestations of faith and hope have and will continue to bring down the blessings of heaven on the head of those faithful as needed. There is reason and justification for the hope that is within me and should be within all of us. I testify of Him. I have heard His voice on many occasions in my heart. I have felt His precious presence at various times and in diverse places. I have seen His influence over and over again and have witnessed His power and majesty as He continues His work to work His miracles among the children of men. In our day, largely through the hope that emanates from Him and to Him and through Him and around Him, by Him, through all eternity, I know by the sure witness of the Spirit that He lives and loves and forgives and heals and saves and restores, and that in Him there is always hope. May our hope in Him ever be vibrant and active and sure, unto a perfect brightness of hope, I do humbly pray, in the name of Him in whom there is always hope, even Jesus Christ. Amen.